Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, Episode 1.9, Hokey Religions and Ancient Weapons. I'm Kelsey, that's Luke, and there's always a little bit of truth in legends. As a reminder, we are still on our narrative hiatus. Um, we will be back with the narrative of Knights of the Old Republic 2. Um, that should be coming sometime in March. But we are taking our time to work through other issues and oddities and novel parts of Star Wars. We've got some guests lined up in the future. Um, but this time, we are going to tackle something that is at the heart of A New Hope and then kind of fluctuates its importance in the rest of the films. And that is how Star Wars handles religion. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to diving into this with Luke. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm excited. I. Uh, I like religion in Star Wars because, um, it's better than arguing. It's better than arguing about religion in the real world. I mean, people still get their feelings hurt about religion in Star Wars, but you know, it's not. <laughs> it's not the same. Right, right. You don't have to worry about any Mandalorian Neo Crusader showing up at your house. That's what you think. Wow places i mean I, I live in florida you know like uh, <laughs> you you guys out in new mexico y'all have rules and laws and such <laughs> down here in the what no i'm just kidding <laughs> i live i live in fucking tallahassee like yeah it's it's fine i'm just kidding I mean, don't get me wrong there are a lot of like really weird crimes down here but like i think i think that's just i think that's just because of florida simultaneously America's dick and also shaped like a gun. So there you go. The state that is a metaphor. Um, <laughs> for so many things. Sorry. So many things. So, um, so to, to walk our way through the religion, I took, I went ahead and I pulled up all, um, as many as I could, um, scripts and uh, did not find a Rise of Skywalker script. I don't think there's any uh, tremendous discussion on religion in there that we are missing out on. Um, so I pulled up a bunch. I wanted to poke through, and um, something I thought, um, and this, I'm open to being wrong on this, but in my, in my limited research, looking look through it, the only Star Wars movie really that talks about religion regularly or references it um is is the original is is star wars as a new hope um where we have three different little conversations about religion um we have uh Mahdi saying quote don't frighten us with your sorcerer's ways lord vader your sad devotion to the ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels hidden for it that's one. We have Han that's saying... A good, that's a good burn. I'm not going to lie. He, he he got his ass. That's all I'm saying. Oh, he absolutely did. Um, It's also really like... Something I like, and we saw um, a bit in The Mandalorian too, is, the, is referring to Jedi and Sith by like, like sorcerer, mm -hmm. right? That's a way to make it yeah. relatable and intelligible to people who have 
barely interacted are people who didn't grow up watching Star Wars, which is to say mm-hmm. all of the characters in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think something that... I don't know that it is... It's ever been confirmed as in it's ever been actually specifically stated, but I think in a lot of ways they stopped saying religion and using the word religion as a stand in for the force or the dark or light side after the first movie. Yeah, well, that was what because I thought. First... Sorry, um, I was just going to say because, yeah, in the first one, there are a couple, there are, you know, three references to it. But then in the other movies, there is, um, there there aren't any or almost none, um, obviously. And it's, I I think that that what they did was they kind of went away from that almost to the point that, you know, like obviously I've seen, I'd seen A New Hope and everything, but until I played through, that's the old public too. The second time I hadn't really processed the force as a God or, and the light and dark side as like religious entities, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure I had on like a superficial level, but like I hadn't really processed and thought about it. And uh, so if they were trying to bury it and like, keep it away from religion for a long time, I think they did that um, to an extent, although as I'm sure we'll talk about other movies reference it, you know, in that way or, or by different language, but they still reference it. Yeah. So yeah. So a new hope definitely has the most. So we have Madi uh, ragging on Vader there. And then we have Han um, saying hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side kid. Um, and then Luke responding, you don't believe in the force, do you? Um, and Han clarifying, right, that the version of the Force he does not believe in um, is, uh, I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful Force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy that controls my destiny. Um, so that's the second time. And then the third time and, we see it. Or go ahead. All I was going to say is um, the second one gets to something that that I want to reference um, and we could talk about it later, but something it's, I mean, it, it, you see it in Han's development as a character from um, a new hope to uh, the force awakens. And it's that um, Han is like in the universe of star Wars. And I, and I want to say this because I'm, I'm really not trying to offend anyone in the universe of star Wars you can prove that a God or something like God exists. You can prove it because there is someone in the universe who can manipulate physics to where you go, holy shit, that person lifts rocks with their mind. So obviously either they've got something going on or this God is real. And I mean, you know, in the real world, um, no one can, no one can prove that that's part of faith that is inherent to religion. You cannot, prove that God exists um, in the real world without miracles, I guess, which is why they show up in so many uh, holy texts. And so I just think that's really interesting in Star Wars because, you know, in the real world, you can show people and show people and show people and they'll be like, nope, don't believe in God or whatever. Don't believe in your version of God. But in Star Wars, 
you can lift things with your mind if you still deny that. I don't know. Like the thing about it is, yeah, Marty got a good one in on Vader, but then he used that uh, uh, sorcerer's ways to uh, to choke the shit out of Marty from across the room with his brain. So, uh, you know. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's one of the things that's really interesting about it too is that um, and in in the movies, the characters are all really close to the Force or to Force users. There's um, it's it's very much a tangible part of of life and lived experience for all the characters, really, at some point, even if not initially. Um, but um, but as we talked about a lot in our Mandalorian episode, for the people who aren't at like the highest rungs where there's where there are Jedi and Sith fighting, um, it still remains something like how Han is in this moment where he's deeply skeptical. He doesn't see it, and then. When Baby Yoda lifts that charging mudhorn, suddenly the Mandalorian has a whole different grasp on what the universe is, what the stories of the Mandalorians are about, and what this thing looks like um, in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, Mahdi doesn't get a ton of time to be skeptical. He gets, in fact, no time to be skeptical. Um as he, as he, it's true. I, I actually, I actually kind of like that you can't prove it in the real world because, you know, I'm an atheist and I don't. If you could prove God would exist, that's cool. But I still wouldn't want to be choked about it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think choking as testament to faith is not a particularly. Great <laughs> so for the third, the third moment in A New Hope, um, we have Vader says he senses something through the Force, and then. Tarkin is skeptical and he says, don't underestimate the power of the force. And Tarkin responds, quote, the Jedi are extinct. Their fire has gone out of the universe. You, my friend, are all that's left of their religion, end quote. And there we go, right? Like, it's a really interesting, because what we know, we know that what Tarkin is saying isn't true. Tarkin believes it to be true, but we've met Obi-Wan um, and we know that Luke exists. Um and so there is, and it's really this in, in a new hope, it's very clear that this is a thing that people did and something happened to wipe it out, leaving only Vader as far as um, the empire knew, or at least officially knew as far as the kind of officers staffing and engineering death stars know is they know, well, there's this one guy and that's it. Um, and it's interesting that they frame it as a religion because the only other movie to explicitly say religion that I could find um, is it comes back up in The Last Jedi. Um, when Luke says, quote, built a thousand generations ago to keep these, the original Jedi text, just like me, they're the last of the Jedi religion, end quote. And that's it. Like the word religion four times in cinematic canon, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, doesn't surprise me about The Last Jedi because it shares a lot of similarities with uh, Nice Hill Republic, too. And I'm going to leave that one there for later and let anybody who that makes mad stew on it for a little while. <laughs> I like both of them. Fuck off. I'm just kidding. Don't. I'm just kidding. Um, no, you're absolutely right. He's, I mean, you know, he's, he's the last of his kind. He's broken. And 
they they bridge this gap to bring it all the way back to to the religion that they that they talked about in in a new hope because i mean luke obviously um you know he thinks of himself as as a keeper of of that religion and um and so he you know he, he's a religion their their holy text yes the sacred text in fact um <laughs> is you know is a is a big meme and was a, obviously a moment from there and you know you don't <clears throat> you don't talk about sacred texts. You don't talk about burning, uh, holy sites uh, or, you know, allude to burning holy sites and stuff like that. If not to show that this is a religion because they are using explicitly religious analogs, you know, you're burning a, uh, sacred thing. Um, even if, you know, even if they don't say prayer, you know, but, but, but that's the other thing, even if they don't say prayer, they still talk about meditating the whole time. And um, in my mind, I think of those two things as analogous. Not that they are um, praying to the force and asking the force for something, because that's not really the aspect that it works, uh, it, or that's not really the way it works, but they are meditating to become closer to the force. And obviously, um, you know, prayer is supposed to bring you closer to God in um, in many religions. So, um I mean, you know, I think that they obviously, yeah, they, they got away from it a lot in a big way, but then in other ways, they just kind of, you know, they just kind of molded it and smoothed it over and they were like, okay, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be the, you know, the prayer or, you know, silent, uh, you know, silent reflection, um, type aspect of this religion. And, um, and, you know, they have their, uh, they have their orders and they have their clergy and, you know, some, you know, they embody different ranks and I guess that makes the Jedi monks and the Sith, their, their enemy monks, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the interesting things where because of the medium, right, it's very much, we see it, it's imbued with the trappings of religion and the familiar, um, symbols and iconography and sort of uh, textural language, right? When we when Obi-Wan talks about being um, a hermit in the desert and he's wearing robes, right? The, uh, there's a long tradition um, in, in several faiths especially, but not exclusively like the Abrahamic ones of, of desert hermits and desert monks and desert the desert fathers and things. Um, and so he's leaning heavily on that archetype um, to make that work and the um, way Star Wars tells successive of um, redemptive arcs is very much something um, like in conversation with uh, the, the religious language and structures of uh, Christianity as understood in popular culture in, in the U.S. in the context in where it's produced. But there's a lot that they just like um, they play around and then something when I was poking through all these scripts that really stood out to me um, is as they move away from using the words words about religion specifically um, for the Jedi, right? That's basically only happens in um, A New Hope and Last Jedi. They talk about, they still talk about like faith, characters still say believe, they still use hell. Actually, yeah. hell is hilariously referenced a ton. Um, but yeah. <laughs> We see um, in in the prequel trilogy, 
the thing that gets linked to faith is um is Padme's faith in the Republic, which which dwindles over the course of that trilogy for obvious reasons, but that's where the term faith comes in as a kind of like civic religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um <laughs> it's it's interesting, yeah. Um they uh I was thinking about, you know, they say hell and uh, in Empire Strikes Back and um, I can't remember who said it, but uh, someone um, I saw on Twitter said that they um, that always threw them off when they were a kid because um, I think that I think they were, um, you know, from a from a non um, a non-Christian household and um so they didn't have like a, I guess like a conception of hell when they were younger. And so they said that always threw them off and I'd never thought about it because, you know, to me, it's just something people say, but, you know, I guess other people are like, you know, if, if hell isn't associated with your religion, then you probably have only heard of it in the context of other, you know, of other religions, like I guess Christianity um, specifically. No, absolutely. Um, not was, yeah, no. And I was trying to poke around to see, I recall Wikipedia having a hilarious definition of hell, um, but I can't. It's chaos. It's um, so like hell, hell as an as a thing doesn't exist. The only people who go to hell, uh, as far as as far as I can remember, the only people that go to hell are darksiders who die in the dark side of the force um you know um palpatine maybe whatever you know whatever's going on with him uh you know malik people like that um they're the ones and they go to chaos and it's this place where they just can never find rest and it's like referred to as i guess like kind of torment so like it has that aspect of hell but there's not like a devil or like you know like a specific torture it's just referred to as like they can't find rest or you know something like that but you know at the same time like (laughs) the whole thing about uh about um you know like oh only only the light side can um you know can um can hold on to their consciousness after death and I mean, that's like, that, that's obviously false. You know, Palpatine came back, but even before that, there were, you know, there were other examples in canon, like uh, Momen. And then, um, you know, obviously in Legends, it happened all the time. And so, um, you know, you're, you're kind of left with like, uh, I guess, I guess your consciousness can be stored after death, but only in certain objects or vessels, maybe. And your body goes away, but then you can regrow your body, which happened in the Rise of Skywalker. But also, Moment did that. He got like a like a basically like a duo do over body from like a Force um, portal under the castle of Mustafar. So yeah, 
I don't, I don't know how to just, when you say it like when when I think about it like that, I think about the Palpatine thing coming back isn't really that weird. Like that isn't the thing that I had a problem with there. You know, it was the Ray Palpatine thing, but you know, it's let's uh, not go down that road. Um, <laughs> we have a whole episode about that. <laughs> yeah, so I think, but it's really. Um, and this is one of the things that's really neat with like the canon, right? Is that they had, um, and especially with like the canon and legends division, is that there was so much in legends where people just like fleshed stuff out based on the skeleton of what they knew from the movies, how they um, put that together, and what was interesting about it and what they wanted to explore. And so that's how we get like, um, why is hell part of Star Wars canon? It's because it was a really easy thing to write. I'll have Harrison Ford screaming. I'll see you in hell. Um, makes a ton of a great, great line instantly intelligible to all the audience until they take the moment. Um, and not that anyone or hardly anyone doing this did, but some people went like, wait a second. If this is, at the very least, it's long ago and far away. So this predates all known uh, eschatology and uh, structuring of religion. So what does this actually mean? And so we get that hell is Corellian slang for chaos. Uh, <laughs> because you have for chaos, work. which is something that has never been referenced in can, which hasn't been referenced in canon yet, which is probably smart because it's a really weird idea to begin with absolutely um absolutely um but it's a but because it's such a clear concept and i can i can i can take anybody off topic it's not (laughs) no no this is the topic um and so so after after we have those those little exchanges in the New Hope, I was like, "What is there? What is there in Empire Strikes Back?" Certainly, there's something. Um, and Yoda talks a ton about the well, not a ton, but he talks the most about Jedi. We've heard he doesn't ever name Jedi as a religion. There, he doesn't say faith or belief. He talks about these things as um, like whole and concrete objects. And then he we get the that he trained Jedi for eight hundred years. Um, and we get him describing the force, but none of this is really like in the same notion of religion that we hear. And it is, I mean, it's obviously building out the canon this way. Um, and this is where uh, we really get a lot of like the, the dark side and the, the distinction between um, fleshed out. But it's also in the context of this is one entity with multiple facets uh which is um often i imagine if we had say scholars of the force in the old republic they would probably write about how in the past the force was seen as distinct deities and then maybe fused into one deity where you had dark and light sides of it in a holistic unit and i imagine they talk some of that um, in in parts of Knights of the Republic we haven't gotten to. Um, 
or at least some of the stuff we've already talked about and that has just flown out of my brain because my brain is a sieve. But um, <laughs> but there's, it's interesting that what we get is we get Yoda talking about the Force, but we do not get anything about like this is a religion or this is a belief, but this is a thing. This is a way and there are paths. Yeah, it's... um. So it uh so I guess in, in Nights Two it shows up um as um as uh you know them talking about how uh, most of the galaxy sees the Jedi and Sith as just feuding members of the same religion. And to me, that's always been a good way to conceptualize it because here in the real world, we have, you know, almost every religion that has ever existed, probably all, every religion that has ever existed has had a schism of some kind. And many religions have two large sects and sex. And in, you know, in our world, we can't look at something and say, this is the, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Well, I mean, sometimes we can, but you know, not in every, uh, not in every or probably even most religious um, schisms, but um, it, it uh, but in Star Wars, obviously we are given, you know, we, we are given, you know, the idea that the light side is the good side, the dark side is the bad side. And that contributes, you know, to how we view them. So, you know, Star Wars again offers us a very, clear dichotomy and it's hard for us to conceptualize in the real world so then when it gets um when it gets brought into that relief of being um a religion and two opposing ways to uh, worship or uh interact or whatever they consider they're doing with a god then um yeah, and and to me that makes more sense. And I know some people think that they they hate it, they hate conceptualizing it like that because I mean there are so many real world problems or real world complications with religion, and they don't want that in their sci fi fantasy whatever you want to call Star Wars. And I understand that too, but that's how I conceptualize it. So, well, it's also um, to to skip ahead a little, right? The only. Um Palpatine is the one who in uh, Revenge of the Sith draws like the clearest comparison um, where he, he flattens the distinction between Sith and Jedi um, as, 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 as two points of view on, on the force. Um, uh, And so this is, yeah. All I was going to say is um, I think that that is, uh, that's that's a good way to look at it because or a good way to say it because when you flatten it like that and you say you know there there are different ways to look at it and that is i mean obviously he is um he's manipulating anakin uh at that point but um he's not wrong there are you know it does flatten it there are different ways to look at it and i think that's why a lot of people um including myself really like the stories about the the gray um, Jedi and the gray sect, the gray Jedi sect or the gray force um, sects. And um, it's because that is more akin to real life and the way uh, religion shows up in real life. It it seems to be more interesting that way uh, to some people. And absolutely. And it's also like, 
Palpatine is a is he may have the most like in-depth speech about the nature relationship between the Jedi and the Sith and Canon, but um to, to put it extremely mildly, he is not a neutral party on this. This is not a scholarly symposium. This is someone telling a very clear clearly slanted view of a phenomenon to another character in order to manipulate how that character acts. Um, and it's one of the things that you get is if you flatten it, right? Like if you, um, and this is, this is a, a space we've explored, but the space also that is explored um, at great depth in Knights of the Old Republic is what does, what do force users look like when they sit outside the, um, the duality of Sith and Jedi. What does it mean to have a more varied approach to action? Because the movies do not get that. We don't get room for that. We can see, right, that uh, Anakin would have probably been better served by a great Jedi mentor who could understand that um, he is a uh, lonely orphan and then an angry teenager with tremendous power and figure out how to respond to that other than just, you know, abstinence only um, for a whole range of things, including feeling, um, which did not turn out work out well. Um, but it's one of the things where um, making a stark contrast makes it, right, that's the conversation that Palpatine has that leads Anakin to ultimately um, side with him later is that if they if the only options are binary then once you you have you have made a choice the only other choice um the choices are irrevocable once you've once you've gone from one side to another um which is something we see right and it would be palpatine is explaining this vision of them as the same but it's also like very much um you could find it as like a doctrinaire sith view that the sith see themselves as the protagonists of of history and of the force. Um, oh yeah. It, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they finally get to write, they find they, they're the victors now. So they finally get to write the history books, you know, like, I mean, that, that's, that's what he's doing. I mean that, and I mean, that is something that, you know, that happens, uh, that obviously happens in the real world. You know, you, <laughs> history is, is written by the victors and, and to some extent you can, you can, you know, get rid of that. You can research around it and, and stuff like that. But to a lot of extent, you know, we, we may never know, you know, what happened in the bygone eras of history because of, you know, what was suppressed or, you know, what was, uh, you know, what wasn't church, what was it church doctrine to bring this back to religion? There we go. Wow. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, but but you're right, and I mean, Palpatine does a good job, and I mean, I've I've said it before. I love um, I love Ian McDermott's uh performance as Palpatine in in every movie, even though you know, the Rise of Skywalker, other issues notwithstanding. Um, and uh, you know, I just think he choose he choose scenery, but he does he plays the put upon um he plays the put upon um victim of the, a Jedi plot very well because the Sith are victims of a Jedi plot. Now, I mean, from our, from our perspective, it is a good Jedi plot because the Sith, as they say, the Sith always end up with empires built on slavery. And, um, 
but you know, Palpatine plays that off really well. Is you know, oh, the you know the Jedi they uh, they oppressed us, you know, and and look look at look at Mace. He's you know he's he's hurting me. And then as soon as Anakin chops off his arm, there's no going back for Anakin. And Palpatine knew that. And then he, you know, then it was unlimited power, and that's all there was. And yeah. And it works well, too, for um, something that is explored a lot more in, in the television shows where there's a lot more room in the novels and et cetera. But the way um, in, in fiction where there is space for training outside montages, I should say, um, we get a lot more about like what does it mean to become um, what is the initiation rights into these traditions? Um, and with Jedi, it's. Often, right, you are found um, as a as a young child, and then you are trained, raised inside this religious order over a very long time. Um, and with the Sith, um, it often it, it sometimes involves leaving the Jedi Order. That the Sith kind of have a, a somewhat uh, parasitic relationship to institutional Jedi religion that way. But it also happens like. Um, I'm thinking specifically here of the uh, the introduction of Ventress in uh, Tarkovsky's Clone Wars, where there's just a whole massive like black market arena gladiator match to determine the Sith apprentice, and she just shows up and kills literally everybody else, and then tries to kill Dooku. Um, and that's a very much like when you have something when you're looking for something with a fanatical devotion to um to a leader and to violence then you find traditions that are very steeped in acts that cut you out from the rest of society to lead you to sort of bind you to that path you have chosen yeah i mean that's uh that's exactly right and i mean i think to me to me it's way more interesting when there are um like when there are more Sith around than just the two and they're like these like kind of like straddler Sith, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of kind of Sith. Um, and um, but then you have these other people who are, you know, they have the trappings of the Sith. They have many of the same beliefs about the force as the Sith. They call it the same thing, the dark side, but then they are not Sith, you know, like a Kylo Ren or um, a lot of the Dathomirian witches would be considered dark side. And there are other dark side sects in, um, in legends. And, um, you know, so I, I just always think that's interesting because like, you know, they're, they're like, ah, we don't want to do copyright infringement here on, on the big guys. So, you know, we're just going to call ourselves Darksiders and, and, you know, we're, we're not going to say Sith. Don't say the <laughs> word. I can easily imagine the uh, Sith being as uh, litigious as Lucasfilm or Disney um, or whatever the force equivalent of that is. Uh, um. So the other two two moments of, of religion I wanted to, to touch upon um, is a is a couplet of scenes in there's one in uh, Return of the Jedi and then there's one in Phantom Menace um, and 
the the example of religion we get that sits outside like the traditional like the this the Jedi and Sith right is the Ewok ceremony that happens after they have kidnapped um, our, our protagonists and then see see three see C3PO as this sort of golden god and then Luke uses the force to make it seem like he's supernatural um, which is incredible um, and uh, there's a lot going on there, but the part in Phantom Menace I want to tie it to um, is that when they make it to when, when Qui-Gon and Jar Jar and Obi-Wan make it to the Gungan city um, and he, they're negotiating with with Boss Nass, Qui-Gon says that um, your gods demand that his life belongs to me now. Um, which is a remarkable thing to, to say and also to to presume, right? That this this interloping... Qui-Gon is nothing if not problematic now, let's be honest. <laughs> but he... And the way he says it too, he doesn't say like... The force demands this, or um, I saved his life, and therefore your tradition, right? It's setting up a life dead thing, but it's like your God's demand. Do we ever hear anything else about Gungan gods um, at all? Not in the cinematic. I mean, we were talking about Jar Jar, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, well, <laughs> that's more of a trickster spirit, kind of a Loki like figure. Um, <laughs> it was a Sith Lord, you know. That was the it was the whole thing. I, I God, I remember that whole thing. I sometimes this fandom, man. I don't know. <laughs> I I you know I've never figured out if that was like a joke or like if that was like something that was actually based on like a real thing that was said or a real thing that was seen or something like that, or if it was just like some like theory that was put together on like reddit or you know some forum or whatever you know way after the fact i you know i don't never i mean in the in the in the grand tradition of of oral oral traditions it it probably starts as a joke it ends up as as a joke that people like repeating because it's funny and then you end up with people doing irony so hard they think it's real yeah that's probably true (laughs) um and so those are the only like two moments um, really where we see anything outside the force referred to as as religion and interacted with as such. Um, as we've, I'm sure, talked about, about before on episodes, part of this is that the way um, the tradition that Star Wars borrows most directly from is adventure serials and adventure serials as uh film and then as like pulpy books before that uh, borrowed heavily on a lot of tropes from uh the victorian and edwardian and uh, redemption ages um and earlier which are um full of problems to say the least and one of those recurring problems is you go and you meet the locals and they have multiple gods um, and they're they're a a relatively they are seen relative to the interlopers as a primitive people, and then you have this whole thing, um, and so that's the baggage it's dragging into Star Wars because of what it what 
it references, but it's also like the only, only time we get to see um, religious practitioners or even not even practitioners, religious mentions outside of the force. Yeah, I mean, like they've I mean, they they kind of refer to religion like in Star Wars that is not force based religion as, you know, like your gods or your customs, you know, something like that. The only like real entrenched religious like entity that was big that worshipped a god that wasn't the force is like the pious day which we talked about like way back in the second episode we ever did um and they were like a really weird like uh, cult that took over the republic for a little while even though they kept it as a republic and they were there for like i think it was like a thousand years or something like that um but I mean, that's obviously that's obviously legend stuff, and and was referenced by name in canon, but nothing else. So, but I mean that that's the that's really the only one that I can think of that isn't you know just referred to as like your traditions or you know like saying your gods. I guess in Star Wars is uh, you know an equivalent of saying you know your your traditions, you know, like, like you said, even though it's, you know, even though it's obviously, uh, it's very presumptive to say something like that, but, um, but I mean, but then they, uh, the other big connection that, that I always see, um, and I think we talked about it, it was back in the, uh, it was back in the, I think it was the last episode, um, on, Knights of the Old Republic that we that we did five point ten, and we talked about redemption. And to me, because I, I grew up evangelical, that has always the redemption of Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi has always screamed like religious redemption to me. You know, like and so that is just my default assumption, and that doesn't mean that you know like that <laughs> there aren't ways to critique that, and you know that we should want that in the real world, which is what we talked about in that episode, but, um, you know, to me, that's always, um, th- that's always been like a, a religious aspect I've seen that kind of seeps in. And then, um, you find out later that George Lucas is Methodist. He calls himself a Methodist Buddhist and things start to make a lot more sense <laughs> to me anyway. Sure. And as, um, <laughs> As a person myself whose uh, religious tradition broadly put um, sort of explicitly borrows from many, many things. Um, this is Unitarian Universalism here. Um, one of the things that you see, and you especially see it um, in, uh, I say, people like George Lucas who grow up in one religion and then are exposed to another, and then they come up with a personal fusion, and then sometimes they find the Unitarian Church, and sometimes they just get super into meditation or super into something you do in in california um but isn't that as, isn't that how we got lutherans in the first place well <laughs> sorry I'm, yeah I'm i mean sorry, once, you, once you start reading books and then you start thinking about <laughs> maybe i disagree with the disagree with the theory here once you start questioning canon really i, what, I agree what I is agree. the cost Nobody... of but a questioning canon? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, sure, what, yeah. what is the switch to uh, 
what is the switch from legends to canon, if not the uh, switch from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the switch from uh, Catholicism to uh, Protestantism or Reformation or however you want to look at that, that, you know, that's a really uh, belabored um, analogy, but uh, you know, legends is really long and kind of contradictory and <laughs> canon is, uh, you know, shorter and God seems kind of nicer in that one. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I don't know. The, the second one borrows from the first one. Da, 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 you know, whatever. In this TED Talk, I will. That's the tweet. Well, and you also have, right, one of the things um, that when we are talking about canon, which again is a term borrowed from borrowed from religious studies that is now applied to to distinguish. I've never put that together until right now. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, but one of the things is that because Star Wars is an owned and created canon and a living mm. canon, um, we have, um, rather than just having a church that can interpret an existing text, right? You have Disney, which gets to make pronouncements on canon. Um, and uh, we don't so much have Dead Sea Scrolls, but we have, you know, uh, Wikipedia editors. That's basically the same thing. Um, so wait a minute. Where so like, I guess what does this make? Uh, what does this make like Leland Chi and, and Pablo Hidalgo? Are they like apostles or um, <laughs> the Pope? Who's the Pope of Lucasfilm? <laughs> oh man, that's going to get us in a lot of trouble. It's Dave Filoni, but I'm not saying anything else about it. Well, but you have, right? A work of activism. If anybody, if anybody from Lucasfilm ever listens to this, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's just a joke. You know, I'm going to have to put parody, you know, when we publish the episode so I don't get sued by someone. It's fair use. That, that for, for, for all of our, yeah. <laughs> it's fair use. <laughs> I mean, they both wear big hats, right? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, but it's an interesting thing where because canon is a choice of, of what texts get included and how new texts get tied to it, um, and the tiered canon is a really interesting way to look at it. Um, and as people like going through like Divinity School find and you see like, oh, well, we know that these ones were written relatively close to each other. And we know these ones were written a lot later. And these ones were added even later. And like this emperor showed up here and was like, hey, put this in there. I like this. Why don't we do this little ruling? Um, but it's a really interesting thing to see and treat as a as a uh, created and living text, which is also perhaps one reason we might not see it talking about religion a ton is it treats it, it treats religion as there, there's basically two ways to have religion within the canon, which is either you have some reliance on the force, you you do the may the force be with you, you do that, and you you fit into the broader universe understanding, or you have like your planet or the people in your planet have a separate um, telling of it. It's one of the things that makes the sand people. Um, the Tuscans so interesting in the original KOTOR is that they have um, a separate history of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, that's, well, that's a really good, uh, it's a really good example of it. Yeah. And, and I love that about it because, you know, before KOTOR, the earliest thing was the one issue of Talat Nithar as a shape. Um, and then there was the Tales of the Jedi, and that was it. I mean, so there was that one thing that was like a quarter of 
a quarter of the pages in that one comic was in 8,000. And then there were the, there was the stuff we talked about, but that all happens within four years between 4,000 and 3996. So when you talk about something like that, that is, you know, the earliest reference that I can think of, you know, that really expands the canon back that far. I mean, obviously there have been, you know, references to like the beginning of the galaxy or something like that, which I mean, um, which they talk about as like a, a big bang type event. Um, but, uh, but I mean, this, this like breaks in or like breaks the known timeline wide open instead of, you know, 4,000 or 8,000 years or 10,000 years, which is probably what it is in Canon. Maybe, maybe a little bit longer um, or maybe a lot longer. And they just changed stuff. I said, um, which they can do because it's a living Canon. Uh, but in legends, it's now it's 30,000 years because it was 25 or 26,000 years before what happened in KOTOR. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a, like, it's a good way to ex- expand it. And I mean, like, it's, it's obviously not the same, but like, you could kind of think about it as like discovering like a Dead Sea Scrolls type thing because, um, or I guess maybe the Rosetta Stone because HK47 would be the, one of the other languages on the Rosetta Stone, which allowed us to read higher. I'm, I've lost it, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, you find a religious tradition and all of a sudden you, uh, discover that the, the universe isn't 10,000 years old. It's 40,000, you know, 34, you know, like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? This is a belabored point. I mean, one of the things too, that is, um, interesting about the various, um, and we talked about this early on because we talked about how you set time and how you set canon, um, like in our very early episodes. But one of the things that's neat about, about Star Wars and especially about how it's been documented um, and and assembled in Wikipedia, right? Is that they choose they choose a familiar point that's that functions as both a reference to the film and a reference to an event in universe. Um, but there's tons of traditions, right? Like the the Tuscan having their own canon, and I imagine um, not that canon particularly wants to, but if canon did particularly want to spend time with the Gungans, I imagine they would have their own separate telling. And then they would also have the canon oh. um, used that is in coordination with the rest of the galaxy. Um, and much the same way oh, yeah. that, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of like how, um, in, uh, you know, in our world, we, we kind of like, we'll joke about it, you know, like, oh, ABY, what does ABY stand for? And, you know, somebody's like, oh, I don't, I don't fucking know, you know, uh, it's like, if you, uh, you know, if you like went back in time and like you said, you know, what year is it? And you're like, oh, it's 20 BC. They'd say what's BC. And you'd be like, before Christ, it'd be like, who's Christ? You know, it's one of those things, but like, um, at the same time, we, we also use, you know, a really um, odd dating system when you think about it, because it's the dating system for pretty much the entire world. And, you know, not everybody uh, believes or worships that uh, the particular person referenced in that, uh, that dating system. But, you know, other uh, religions, other cultures have different dating systems. I mean, one of the most famous ones and the one that's coming to my mind is the French Republican calendar, which is really weird um, it, oh, to so me, good. but you know, whatever you, you, you know, you, if you enjoy Brumaire, you, you keep your Brumaire, you know? So, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, so yeah. Right. And like, 
Right. I was just like pulling up, right? The the calendars, the various uh, calendars we have for right now, right? Because in um, and there's a few that are just a few years, a few years off. Um, there's some that cycle cycle faster, right? Because like the the Hebrew year is uh, several thousand years ahead of the of the Gregorian calendar that world is not. It's a neat. It's a neat system, and like it's interesting to think, um, not to extend the analogy to Breaking Point, right? But it's neat to think that like the Tuscans keep a calendar that is accurate in a different way than the whole rest of the galaxy, yeah. as an article of faith. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, oh, wasn't there? Isn't there? Uh, maybe that's something different. I don't know. Uh, wasn't there some or some religious sects that um, adhere to you know like different different um, like calendars that we've used. So like some still use the, uh, uh, is it the Gregorian calendars or is that the ones we have now? It's the, it's the Julian calendar. Is the... Yes. The Julian, excuse me, Julius Caesar, that little known person. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just sound like an idiot. I can talk about star Wars for f- two fucking hours without thinking about it, but I can't remember Julius Caesar's goddamn name. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's, it's fine. It's fine. He he threw calendars in the wrench, but it's the reason, right? That like the Russian. <laughs> it's the reason we have yeah. the key events of yes. the Russian Revolution happened yes. in months different than we remember them. That the that of, the October Revolution was in November. Of course, that other little known thing, the Russian Revolution. You know, oh god. <laughs> oh well, I guess I'll get the wall for something. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, uh, you know. No, no, it's great. Uh, what are we talking about? Oh, well, by the so way, I just pulled up uh, I just uh, pulled up the list of various calendars on Wikipedia and the ones that we know numbers for, there are one. There are at least 20 different calendars here for like what year 2020 is. For example, in the Assyrian calendar, it is the year 6770. In the Hebrew calendar, according to this, it's 5780 to 81. If that is incorrect and you know that, please do not yell at me. I'm reading off Wikipedia. And in the Holocene calendar, whatever it is, it's 1220, 12,020, whatever that means. Oh, that's probably the since era. we entered the Holocene era, probably. Or it's since great. everyone started enjoying that Bonivire song. It's great. There's a huge debate right now in the geologists of whether or not to parse out the Anthropocene as, as separate from the Holocene. Oh, yeah. Um, and one of the fun, I'm using fun very loosely here, points is that maybe they should make start the Anthropocene at uh, 1945 because that's when we have uh, traceable radioactive isotopes created by humans um, just dispersed globally. Um, you know, fun. also literally have the means to kill ourselves through like through one button press. Basically, at that point, now I don't think we, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, like, humanity's done a lot of dumb things before 1945, but you know, that's kind of a big one. I'm just saying that's the same reason that they have the, you know, the death star is the same reason that they do ABY and BBY. So maybe that's not such a bad idea. You know, it's not, it, it absolutely is right. Like basically having ABY is like counting. It's like starting a new calendar at 1945. Um, So the other thing I wanted to talk about with, with religion um, to, um, to, to pull it a little back into canon is the only other place we see <laughs> any serious discussion of religion in Star Wars and perhaps the most discussion of it we've seen since um, since a new hope is we 
is in Rogue One, um, where we have religious devotees. We have the Guardians of the Wills. We have Kyber Crystals. We have a whole... What we can see really is not... Um, it's like the hollow shell, hollow, the deliberately hollowed out shell of what the Jedi must have looked like as a faith to people living in the time in the Old Republic. Um, we get the Guardians of the Wills, we get the Kyber Temple, we get Kyber Crystals as these sacred artifacts, um, and it's a really interesting glimpse at a. Um, ad adherent to a religion thought gone out of the world. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, like, and Chirrut is, Chirrut is a good example of that. I mean, like, he he looks like how we popularly conceptualize a monk, you know? I mean, he's not wearing a hood, but, you know, he talks to himself. He recites these um, these words of devotion. Um, and to him, they're obviously, you know, words that have very powerful meaning. Um and um and he and we see him but there are obviously the other people in the background and uh you know they have their different ways of worshiping the force and we don't know if they're force sensitive or if even all of the guardians of the wills are force sensitive we do know that cheer is um i guess mildly force sensitive or marginally force sensitive not to uh you know belittle anything he's done but you know it's uh yeah, he's. I mean, he he, he kind of reminds me of a monk, you know, like a later a monk who's still, um, you know, trying to keep the uh, the traditions of some old Orthodox faith, you know, some old almost forgotten Orthodox faith alive. Except he's blind and can still hit people with a stick, which you know, good for him. And it's one of the things too where what's. And then this is like back to your, your first point this episode, right? Is that the force is tangible in the universe. So Chirrut obviously has the force as a it's available to him as a force as a as a as a felt presence and as a I mean tool kind of belittles it, but as a thing he interacts with that gives him strength. Um and not just the strength of faith, though also the strength of faith. And one of the things that seems mm -hmm. so remarkable about how, um, and and I, I appreciate that Star Wars committed to um, after Order sixty six, the Jedi are virtually extinct, and the universe treats them as extinct. Um, and mm -hmm. what's remarkable is that you can, within the space of again nineteen years or eighteen, even at the time of well nineteen at the time of Rogue One, um, you can go from. This was this galaxy-spanning religious order that would intervene at crises and had hive level and like lots of powers and was known, um, or at least heard of. Two, they're all dead. No one knows they exist. Some people don't believe they existed, um, and they're gone. And yet, there are still people who can feel the force and move with the force and interact with the force. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's so like. I, it's like this is where it gets hard to to continue to um, describe it as God or I mean as a religion without making so many qualifiers that it becomes um, but that it that it becomes meaningless. But I mean, it, it, it's like 
on the one hand, on the one hand, you think about it as religion and it's like, okay, we accept religion in our lives for many reasons. Some people believe, some people are born into it. Some people accept it for other reasons. Some people accept it for what they consider to be supernatural reasons. Um, but you know, on the one hand, we're saying, yes, you can prove that God exists, but if that God exists in star Wars, that God is an, and the force is a God, that God is an absolute asshole. Like, you know, to the extent that it has the ability to like control who has the force and who uses the force, like, and then it gives some people like massive abilities in the force and, uh, other people, you know, less, the lesser abilities in the force, but still, I mean, still enough to be superhuman to the rest of us or seem superhuman to the rest of us. Um, and, uh, and, you know, like it's the same thing with, with redemption because like, if, you know, if, if it doesn't, if it doesn't mean that, or I'm sorry, if it is just a, um, if it's just a thing that you do, you know, and all you have to do is like recite some words and like maybe throw a guy down a, a big energy pit, um, and then you get to go to force heaven, even though you've been the worst person alive forever. Um, and like, if that's true and, and literally all you have to do is just like turn around and stop and say like, no, I'm done with this shit. Um, you know, fuck you. You've been, um, a jerk to me all my life. Sheev, I'm going to throw you down this pit and then he electrocutes you on the way out, but you still get to go to force heaven. Um, it's like, uh, you know, on the one hand, you're like, that's not how we want real life to be. And it's true. We don't, we do not want real life to be like that because we want people to ideally not do really awful things like commit genocide or kill a bunch of kids or something like that. But if they do for, you know, there to be remorse and, um, you know, some people want execution, some people wouldn't, but you know, something like that, and you just get to say, I'm sorry and be done with it. So you're just like, wow, that, that force seems like a jerk. And then you immediately think about that is literally the redemption arc for so many religions. And so on the one hand, you're like, wow, that's a jerk, but, or, you know, that God's a jerk. But on the other hand, it's like, you know, we have so many religions that, that conceptualize it like that anyway. And it's not conceptualized as that God is a jerk. It's just like, you know, if you believe that accepting Christ into your heart or what other religious traditions do similar things and that will save you, then that's your, that's your salvation and, or that's your redemption. But you know, other people might be like, well, you don't, you don't deserve to go to heaven, but who are you to decide that? That's what God does, you know? So like, like you get into this like recurring loop and I'm just talking to, and I'm just like talking to myself at this point because like, I've got so many thoughts like pinging around in my head and I'm like, oh yeah, I need to say this and you say this and you say this. And like, I'm just talking to myself about like, I, I basically like, talk myself in and out of two points while I've been in this conversation. It is exhausting to be me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I appreciate We're talking it. about I, religions and ancient weapons. I appreciate. It. So I, I love the parallel between Darth Vader throwing Palpatine um, 
into the Death Star reactor as uh, Constantine getting baptized on his deathbed. Um, it's, okay, okay, I'm not, okay. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to insult anyone's religion, but that's the same thing. It, it has to be. It has to be the same thing as the deathbed confession. It has to be the same thing as the deathbed baptism. That um, I mean, yeah, that Constantine and you know, obviously thousands and millions or however many people have you since then like so on the one hand we're like that god is a jerk and then on the other hand we're like that's that's just our religious tradition in the real world like i mean you might not believe you might not believe in another god but you don't usually go like that god's a jerk you know like that god not not only does that god exist and i know that he exists and he can provably exist in this universe, but he's a jerk or she's a jerk or it's a jerk or whatever word you want to use. Um, for the, you know, for, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> like you can't. I mean, one of the things that really, um, I don't have any, um, hangups <laughs> about religion in my life. So, you know, just like, I don't have any unresolved things about that. So, you know, just so we, just so we're clear what we're all dealing with here. One of the things that I think really, um, when the prequels made the decision to be like the the existence of the prequels and very specifically um showing anakin's arc and not just his his disillusionment with the jedi but the violence he did along that path um really doubles down on like the on the weight of the redemption in in return of the jedi that you get to and you fill in, and it's you start with the redemption. You see, Darth Vader has obviously he like he fights in a war, but we don't really see a lot of like war crimes done by him. Particularly, he's uh, I mean, the Death Star is Tarkin's thing, and, 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 and arguably Darth Vader is hugely fall for also you know the death of a whole planet. But like you don't see the personal like murder of. Of not just the men, but the women and the children, and of the younglings and all that, and so to and, yeah, and we get to see the children again. You know, that's the you know, the isn't again. that everyone's favorite? Yeah, yeah, isn't that everyone's again, favorite yeah. part of Revenge of the Sith? And you get to see like the coolest villain ever <laughs> actually like impliedly kill children like, off screen. That is a mind-boggling decision to me. And an even more mind-boggling decision to make your kid one of the children in that room. I <laughs> we should have I told mean, like George, George Lucas is on another level from the rest of us. Like he is. Like I've said it before, I've like whatever. Um he's just like what? <laughs> you you take the like I mean basically what is the face of your franchise? You put him on screen. You make him like this really attractive guy and then you stick him in a room and he's going to fucking kill kids. And then you make your son look one of the kids. I imagine his kid. <laughs> I feel I feel we are we are moments away from from drafting and then nailing 95 theses to George Lucas's door. No. Um, no, absolutely not. In fact, if George Lucas wants to um to talk to us, this is an open invitation that's obviously real and 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 intentional. You know, George Lucas, please come on here and tell us everything that we have said wrong about your franchise, and I will happily 
eat all the crow for everything I've ever said and every joke I've ever made just to get you on the show. Just so, you know, just so we all know what we're doing here because, you know, I'm going to talk a big game and then, you know, Drukas comes here and I just probably freak out, you know, it's never going to happen. So I'm just talking to myself yet. So we will definitely have it be our, our metaphorical diet of worms moment. Um, I, we have so much more we can say on this. We will probably at some point in the future dive back into this topic as canon allows, as new developments allow. We will touch upon it, I'm sure, as we finish out the narrative of the Old Republic and everything therein. But I think we're going to call it here for a day. There is so much more to say, and it has been so good to share it all here with you. So... Thank you for listening to this episode of A People's History of the Old Republic. Please rate, comment, and subscribe to FOTOR on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at FOTORPOD or email us at FOTORPODCAST at gmail.com. You can send us questions and comments and we will answer them on the show. If you have anything you want to see us address in an episode while we're on our narrative hiatus, please, you can tweet or email us your ideas and suggestions. We have never been more likely to answer them. I'm Atherton KD on Twitter. May the force be with you. (laughs) 